right. Well, hey. Uh, yeah, I'm Caleb, for y'all that don't know. Uh, every once in a while they let me up here, apparently. Um, this is the second time I preach in front of people, so I'm going to be just, you know, spectacular. Um, yeah, like, not, not a lot of things, like, actually bother me in life, uh, but getting up here is one of them. And I started thinking, like, why, why, is that, why is that so? Like, one is, like, every time I get up here, like, I realize how holy God is uh, and how unholy I am. And the second thing is, is, like, Jesus saw it fit for you Christians out there to shed his blood for you. And then who am I to come tell y'all how it is, right? And then for you that you aren't a Christian yet, the Holy Spirit saw fit to call y'all in here today so you could hear this. And I just don't want to blow it, you know. Uh, <laughs> and um, I think the biggest one is, is like, well, Seth's like, well, what do you guys, here's the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, which one do you want? And, and um, I like looking my problems in the eye. Uh, so I pick gentleness because that's the one I struggle with. Um, and uh, I've told a lot of people uh, about that. They're like, what are you preaching on? And uh, uh, even a good friend from like 10 years ago, like he's a preacher. He's like, he just laughed. And a lot of y'all laughed. And um, I don't, I'm not trying to make you feel bad at all. You should have. It was funny. Um, but uh, I knew was, I was inadequate to preach it. I knew it was something I wanted to work on. And I thought I'd do my manful duty and uh, grow. Because Christ wants gentleness in his people. He wants it in uh, his elders and his men and his women. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. So we're going to do a call on gentleness today. So we'll open up with the scripture. I did not put the slides together. So if it goes great, not my doing. If it goes bad, also not my doing. So uh, we'll see. It should say Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And if it don't, y'all can get there because you got a Bible. Maybe I'm making it up, you know. Uh, you should probably read for yourself, figure it out. I'll give you a couple seconds. All right. Paul to the Galatians. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. Really driving that home. It's clear. To keep, from, uh, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's good news. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity and strife. If you all read the Bible, often you'll notice those two go together. They're like little couplets. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I've uh, warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against no such things there is no law. Good news again. And those who belong to Christ 
uh, who, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. All right. So I've had to listen to uh, y'all preach on, uh, and, and thankfully I'm not on this so far. And there's a couple things that I see in the text that, uh, that I just really appreciate. One is... Um, you're not on the law. That's some good news. You know, like, like uh, always, when I first became a Christian, I wasn't very smart about it. And I was always, like, trying to keep myself from doing things. Like, just, and my wife's like, you know, there's a lot of good things to go do. Why don't you just go do all the good stuff, and then you don't have to worry about not doing the bad stuff. And I'm like, that's, that's pretty smart. Um, so, ha- have all you want of the fruits of the Spirit. There's no limit. There's no end. Enjoy them. Uh, like, that's some good news. A free place to play. All you want. So, uh, the next thing is, and for y'all that want, like, technical terms and, like, heavy things, this is your time. All right? So, I'm going to introduce some new words. The rest of the sermon will not be like this. So, I'm just going to get it out of the way. There are characteristics of God that... Um, Humans are trying, like, God is not, he's infinite. We're finite, right? And so how does an infinite being describe exactly his emotions to finite things? How do we understand them? There's a technical word called anthropopathy. It's a fun one. You can look it up later and have a nice time. But we're trying to understand something that is boundless and limitless, and he's putting it into a language, multiple languages, and trying just to convey it. Like when I started learning a little Dutch, I realized you can't say things exactly the same way you want to say them in English. Like it, it, they don't, they effectively do the same thing, but you're not saying the same technical words. Like even from limited people to limited people, we're having an obstacle. From an unlimited thing to a limited thing, there is, uh, there is a condescension of language. There is a condescension of communication. And so one of those things that I thought would be helpful to bring out is that there are attributes of God and characteristics uh, that are ontological. So that's our big word. And that means in the actual being of God. He will not be God if these things are not present. So omnipotence, right? He, if he fails to be omnipotent, he's no longer God. Omnipresent. Um, what, what we got here? Uh, I wrote them down. R- just, righteous, right? Uh, uh, being eternal in himself, right? But also there's um, communicable attributes like joy, peace, kindness, and goodness. Those things were always going to happen inside of a trinity. They were always going to be there at the end of time. When all this is over, they will still be there, all right? There's another set of uh, communicated characteristics of God to us that would not be present if there were not sin in the world. And those are, or we're going to use the label, thank you, Mr. Schrock, um, that helped me out with that. It's economic. Now we're doing an exchange. Because there's sin in the world, now there's mercy. If there wasn't sin, what would be the need for mercy? Okay? So, and then we're going down the road, long-suffering, patience, right? Think of, uh, I think of Mark 9, 19, when Jesus says, 
and he answers them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you, right? Uh, bring him to me, because it was uh, a guy that wasn't being healed. But the point being is, like, that patience, that exasperation, that would not be something without sin in, in the world. Now we have this exchange of sin. We're all trying to relate to each other rightly. Um, yeah, wrath, vengeance, and gentleness. Those just would not be things that uh, if, yeah, if there was no sin, it would not be needed. But we'll still remember, uh, so why does this matter? Why am I telling you all this? All right. For the believer, the Holy Spirit is guiding us to work to produce fruit that is in alignment with God's character. All right? We have the eternal ones, and then we have the economic ones, and now we're to be in line with them. Um, so some of these qualities, fruit, will make it to heaven, and some will be gone with. Patience is going to be gone with. We won't experience it. We'll remember it, right? We'll remember how God was pa- patient and faithful to us. But, like, it will be gone in the exchange of our interactions because we'll be sanctified, finally. We'll be done with sin. Um, how to, this is how we relate to each other right now on a sinful earth. So this is clearly... So, why am I saying this? Like, we're, these are the attributes we're left with because this is how Christ came to us, right? He demonstrated these emotions, these interactions with people, this economic exchange perfectly. And so now, while we're still here on a sinful earth, those of us that are Christians, we are to grow in these things. And so until one day, we'll be free of sin. We'll be free of having to have an economic exchange of God's characteristics. See, I told you it was technical, but we're going to move on past this in a minute. Uh, One other thing is Jesus is not gentle with everybody. If you read the Bible enough, you will realize that he is not what you would call gentle with everybody or uh, treats everybody with uh, love and kindness. And um, you need to read your Bible and to, to see what's happening there, we're going to go into more. In fact, something curiously, I noticed that his interaction with Gentiles is much gentler than his own people a lot of times. Uh, so while I was reading on this. Um, so more technical terms, we're going to move on. Uh, uh, Praetes is the word for gentleness in Greek, uh, P-R-A. Um, and what, how's it in? U-T-E-S, you can change the ends of what you're, at the, of the word, what you're doing. Um, the first three letters, pra, is of a divine origin, if that's helpful for you. And, um, but the word is also tra- is translated into Greek, but also meekness. Um, and it expresses power, right? Power with reserve. Okay, so those are key things. A more theological definition would be a gentle force, like Gentleness is not something like, oh, he's gentle on his inside and his tummy. It's going out. Like, it's going somewhere. Um, It must be in the act of doing, and it's one of the fruits that is primarily almost completely seen outside of a human. So think mouth and hands. Like, gentleness is going outward. Um, Some verses to give you some context. Uh, Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. And that word meek, priorites, is right there. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. 
you'll find rest for your souls. Is Jesus really powerful? Yes. Is he gentle to his people? Yes. So you have to have those two things together. Hebrew equivalent carries very much the same emphasis. It's called uh, anal. Probably messed it up, but we're going to move on. Uh, it says uh, in Zephaniah 2.3, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, uh, who do his just commands and seek righteousness, see, uh, and seek humility. Perhaps you'll be hidden on the day of anger. Um, yeah, and so I want you to see the balance of gentleness and the power of God in that. Like, there's great capacity for not gentle things. And then he is a giving humans gentleness in that exchange. Um, yeah. So some wrong translations, because we live in a society that likes to break things or make them new as in their own mind and make them better. Um, modernity is not winning uh, as far as I considered. One is weakness is the inability to exert force. So you're weak, right? This is, this is, not, this is not a call for the Christian to be weak. Uh, we are to be strong physically, mentally, and spiritually. Physically, to bear children, to build homes, to labor for our food. You know, it, not everybody is strong. It, so those who can be need to so we can help the others, right? So we're not called to be weak. Uh, we're not to be deceived by false teachings. Uh, charlatans are gullible to the uh, people outside of Christ and his church. Uh, spiritually, we have to have a strong faith that's been tested and proven reliable over time. Um, and we need to remember our Father, uh, which is, in, uh, yeah. Uh, it does not mean that we're submissive to all. Um, seen rightly, we are only submissive uh, to God and the domains that he has ordained us to be submissive in. Uh, so one is for the Christ, uh, to the, uh, for the Christian to to the church. Uh, women, you're not submissive to all men on the earth. You are submissive to your father or your husband, right? The other ones, no. Uh, layperson, you're submissive to the elders of the church, uh, not another church, not the culture around us. Um, and so I want to give you a more beautiful definition or context of the word. Um, the people who Christ is interacting with in the Bible I want you to see that, or uh, he is giving them, the ones he's interacting with goodwill towards, or the dejected, um, and I've lost my track, the weak, the broken, the sinful, imprisoned, the hurt, and the abused. He himself came lowly to earth, born in a fairly scandalous event, right, from the outside looking in, if you didn't have all the context, and in not such a nice place, immediately try to get murdered, right? And then they run off to Egypt, and then they come back again. What's his dad do? Like, is he rolling in cash? Like, Joseph? No. No, he's a carpenter, and I think he's got at least six children. Because they said sisters, and they don't say how many. Um, so, like, this is not a well-to-do. Like, the king of heaven, right? That's how he's coming. And then when they go, and then the verse that blows me away, right, is when they go to, he's born, they go to give him the sacrifice in the temple. And I think back, God in Leviticus, when he's allowing them, the poor, to give turtle doves 
as a firstborn sacrifice. He's thinking thousands of years from now, this is how my son's going to enter the earth, right? I mean, you got the Solomons and the Davids, and they're cutting up a thousand bulls, right? Just to ordinate the temple and stuff like that. And Jesus is going to come with the turtle doves. It's amazing. Like, and then that's what they do. They, they kill the two doves, and he is, um, that's his sacrifice. Christ, once he's older, and knowing the temple, and is basically made into this racketeering effort, um, of a sacrificing system, the, the very system that he was getting, uh, that he was um, brought into, that he was, I won't say sanctified, but uh, he sees people taking advantage of other people, the lowly, the poor, and what does he do? You know, and with a not very gentle attitude, uh, he makes a whip of cords and flips the tables and drives them out of there, right? Because he said, my, my father's house would be a house of prayer and not a den of thieves, um, and he's doing that in order to protect those who loved him rightly, the ones that were faithful to God. Um, all right, so now let's get into it. Uh, the, the, so the first section is the promised one to come. Yes, look at that, blue and white. Um, so there's, it turns out, if you read the Bible, God's pretty much gentle with people everywhere. So that wasn't helpful because I got to pick something to talk to y'all about. So uh, uh, this verse just really sticks out in Isaiah uh, 42. Um, Isaiah's prophet, they're in exile, and they're hoping that life's going to be better for some people someday. And this is a prophetic message of the Messiah to come. Um, So I'm going to read it for you, Isaiah 42. And we're only going to read the first four verses. You can also check your Bibles to make sure it's there. I'm not making it up. Uh, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. Uh, He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Um, I don't know. I always loved that verse. It always spoke to me. It was a very tender one. Um, and then some years ago, I come across a man named F.W. Borham. Uh, he's an all, he was an Englishman. He went to Australia as a missionary in about 1910. Um, and I have never heard anybody put it better than him so I'm going to read I'm going to give you a narrative and then I'm going to read an exact quote um, from his what was it called it's called The Broken Reed from a book called The Uttermost Star Uh, so the story goes F.W. Borham is in Syria on vacation because that's what you do in 1910 you know you get from Australia on a boat and then you go to Syria Um, I don't know why but he's enjoying the countryside uh, he sees a small brook running through it, and he sees rushes and reeds along the brook. He's enjoying God's heaven, and all of a sudden he hears some noises, and some sheep crest the hill, and with them a shepherd, right? The shepherd uh, doesn't see him, comes down the hill. Um, he sees this reed, and it's bent, right? And of, of thousands of reeds, and the shepherd just snatches it, right? 
breaks it more and throws it in the water, and it goes on down. And then, uh, finally, they meet eye to eye. He um, starts talking with them. They start enjoying the afternoon. He noticed that uh, as they went along their way, the sheep were not falling as close anymore because they don't know F.W., um, they go to a hut for the night. They enjoy each other's company. It starts to get dark. He lights a very simple, you know, like a genie in a bottle type urn lamp and uh, walks into the other room, the shepherd does. When he comes back, the smoke, the smoke is obnoxious. It's filled the room. And um, the shepherd snuffs it out with his fingers and just throws it back on the shelf, grabs a new lamp, fires it up, nice clean light, no smoke. And so uh, F.W. retires for the night. He goes into a different uh, building. We're in the middle of nowhere. And um, he has a dream. And his dream went like this. He said, the shepherd's way is the easy way. He snatches the bruised reed. He crushes it and tosses it away in the moving waters. He takes another that's never been bruised. And from it, he draws melodies. They make flutes out of them. He flings it, he flings a smoking lamp back on the shelf, and he takes a new faultless one, and from it he gets light that fills his home with brightness. Anybody can do that, but the good shepherd, and later on, for y'all that want to take some time on this, Ezekiel 34 and John 10, read them side by side. You can find out about the good shepherd. The good shepherd of whom the prophet speaks takes the hard way. With infinite pity and patience, he works away at the bruised reed until from it he woos eternal harmonies. With infinite pity and patience, he trims and he cleans the smoking lamp until from it he draws light that has never been seen on sea or shore. The bruised reed. The bruised reed represents the things that have never been of any use, the things that are marred in the making. From the bruised reed, he gets the choicest harmony. From the smoking lamp, the smoking lamp represents the things that have once been useful, but have lost their usefulness. They once had, sorry. Um, the Once luminous, they have become loathsome. Once shining, they now smoke. From the smoking lamp, he gets the clearest light. From the bruised reed, harmony. From the smoking lamp, light. And harmony and light, as I saw from the shores of the uttermost star, are the two greatest things in the universe. My friend, God uses broken things. That's it. That's all it gets in heaven is the broken ones. Okay? You are not beyond his repair. He wants you, and he can fix you. There's a lot of you that is not going to make it, and it will hurt along the way because he is holy, and he won't have sin with him. But he only brings broken things into heaven. All right? It, later on, we're going to talk about the sick don't need a doctor, or the ones that aren't sick don't need a doctor, but the sick do. When's the last time you've oper- uh, interacted with somebody that was dejected and lonely? Like, do they show up in your life? Um, you know, the best thing about people like that and like me is uh, we are well aware of our condition and we are ready to alleviate our- ourselves from it immediately. People that are found in that condition don't want to be there, and they want help. And the world is outside trying to give them some semblance of hope, and they're looking for it in all the wrong places, and they'll not find it. But the gospel saves. The gospel gives hope, and they have new life from that. 
Yeah, I don't know whether to go into that. Yeah, let's go into that. So, the bruised reed and the smoldering wick, the broken things in life. I mean, we have to think about the people around us. Do you think, like, little girls fancy, like, losing themselves in addiction or covering their pain one day? And they get lost in little things time over time. Like, God still wants you. Or men that, like, that want desire to be of some utility in life, but you're told that you're the things that make you manly or toxic to a culture, or maybe you don't have the ability to produce as well, or you're not as smart, or you, or you can't, uh, maybe you've lost ability of limbs, right? You've lost utility to create or procreate even, right? God still wants you. God is still using those things to build back. Those are the people that we should be about. I... What frustration is to be caught in those positions and not to have hope? I don't know if you recall when you were there, uh, and maybe you are there today, but the Christ is hope. He will save you from those things. He can make something better than whatever you've imagined for your life. So, the, yeah. And then the a final point I'm going to press on from just that. God fixes broken things is the other line in this uh, is that he doesn't come crying aloud in the street. He's not hooping and hollering um, and making himself known. I don't know what your home's like, but if y'all yelling at each other, like, there's, there's no need for it. Um, our master didn't come that way. We're, we're not to treat each other like that. It's just something I saw in the text. I, I'm familiar with the desire to yell sometimes and I suppress it. Uh, so, all right, the next section is uh, Jesus in action. It turns out Jesus is gentle everywhere, so I did pick one. Uh, and it's in Luke 7. Um, and for those uh, that are younger, children, this is really simple. I'm going to read a story from the Bible. You've heard that before. And then I'm just going to ask a bunch of questions. And I'm not, I'm not really going to tell you all what I think, but you feel free to answer all the questions, okay? So here's the story. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat, asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man were a prophet, and he would have known what sort of woman who this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. That's rabbi. So there's some irony there if you want to dig into that. Uh, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There were a lot of verses to choose from. uh, And you're all capable people, so read your Bibles and study the nuances of Jesus' interaction with people and see the gentleness. But right now we're going to focus on this. There's three people in the scene. It's Jesus, Simon the Pharisee, and the woman. Okay, all right, here's a question. Who treated Jesus with gentleness? It's a woman. Who was it supposed to be? Just say it. Who was supposed to treat him with gentleness? Yeah, go. The Pharisee was supposed to treat him. <laughs> Who? That's right, the woman was supposed to treat him with gentleness. All right. Who looks more like Jesus in the story? The woman. How did she come with him to to him? Broken, humble, contrite. Who did Jesus show gentleness to? The woman. That's right. You don't have to raise your hand. We ain't in class. You just say it. Y'all can talk all you want. Just not too loud. Uh, who is forgiven in this scene? That's right. Who got better off at the end? Was it the woman or was it the Pharisee? Who's really doing better? It was the woman. The people you all interact with, who do they look like? I want you to hear this. Those people don't make us dirty. Those people don't make Jesus dirty. All right? There's later on, uh, it was in Mark 5. There's a woman that bled for 12 years, right? She could not go to temple. She could not serve God. They would not allow her in. Her family couldn't touch her. All right? The people, how does she even work, right? If she touched anything up of anybody else's, they can't go to temple either. You know how lonely that is? Like nobody, you can't be near anybody. There are depths of loneliness with people on this earth that y'all have not even seen. And it's horrible. But she did not make Jesus dirty. Jesus made her clean. He made her holy. And right after that story, is the story of Jairus. I mean, they're in the crowd. They're going to his house. And the daughter's dead. You're not supposed to touch dead people. You can't go to temple for a week. Right? And anybody that's around it can't go to temple either. And Jesus touched that little girl and said to Bathsheba, he said, little girl, be well. And she come up. Right? Jesus doesn't get dirty. I'm telling you, he fixes people. Right? So we don't need to be afraid of those situations. 
They're not going to rub off on us. We're going to rub off on them if you're showing Christ. So there are many illustrations in the Bible of Jesus' gentleness. You need to read them. You need to know your Lord and Savior. And you, he's not always gentle with everybody, but I want to let you all have that. Um, and then the last section is uh, Jesus to come. All right, I want to make an illustration. You ready? When Jesus dies, died on the cross, the temple, it tore from the top to bottom. We're talking a big curtain, uh, like 40 foot wide, 80 foot tall. I didn't look up the exact measurements. I'm sorry. I don't have the technical specifications, but it's like a foot thick. And this thing tore from the top to the bottom, which is theologically significant because that means God is tearing down. So no longer is there any separation from man. We didn't get to God. We didn't tear from the bottom to the top. He tore it from the top down. Significant. All right. As time has progressed since that day, Jesus rose from the grave. Uh, This is an illustration. It's not an actual, it's kind of an actual thing, but it's an illustration. That thing is being put back together. And And Jesus is taking and saving people like this woman, like the blind, like the lost, like the hurt, over time, in years, in centuries, and millennia. And he's washing them as yarn in his blood and then dyeing them. And there's a grand weaver putting this thing back. It's an illustration. Back together from the bottom. And it's coming up to the top. And I want you to imagine your lives and every other those lives, the ones you read about in the Bible, the ones you've heard about in your family, being woven in and saved. And that thing's pulling together at the top, right? And we're, we're here at the prefaces of this thing being complete. And I want you to think, just hear these words. Second Peter 3, but do not overlook this one fact. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowest, but he is patient towards you. He's, he's it's coming together, and he's taking time. He's trying to save People from this earth. He's not wishing any of you should perish, but all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Okay, one more. We're still building the thing. Then listen to this verse in Revelation 19.11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judged. It's Jesus, if you all didn't know that. He's the rider. Uh, (laughs) He wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire. On his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, and white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which is to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron scepter. That's quoting back into Psalms, an earlier verse. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe... And on his thigh he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice and all the birds flying in midair. Come, gather for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast 
and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider of the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and received the mark, and all those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Um, the two of them were thrown alive in the fire lake of the burning sulfur. The rest were killed in the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Why am I saying all this? All right? Okay. That curtain's coming together, and one day it's going to close. While that curtain's open, gentleness is given to us. Grace and mercy is given, and one day it's going to stop. And then everything again will be divided like it was before. All those who love Christ, who he has saved, they will be with him. And those that aren't and don't, won't. They will be on the other side of that curtain. He came, he's not coming the second time like he came the first time. Right? We, we went over how gentle and lowly and meek. And um, it was literally Emmanuel, God with us. Right? But he's saving the people to be sinless and separate. We've got to think about that economic exchange. Wrath and vengeance are still there. It still has to be dealt with. Because ju- justice is an ontological position of God's. It has to be done. Things have to be just. Um, all right, so, so, yeah, basically there are two dinners. And which one are you going to be at? There's the marriage supper of the Lamb, for those who have been saved and washed in Jesus' blood. And then there's the feast of the birds of the sky. Um, come and see that the Lord's good for that. Uh, for those of you who don't believe that the Spirit's called you today, I mean, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. I'm saying, come. There's salvation for you. And uh, for us, remember on the great salvation you have experienced, and don't forget it. Um, all right, last thing. And then we're going to go home. Isn't that nice? I wonder how I did. Yeah. I talked a long time, 30, 40 minutes. So, so what? You know, what are you supposed to do with all this, right? What does all this have to do with the fruit of the spirits? One, it's read your Bible. I'm not saying anything different than anybody else said throughout the entire series. Know Jesus. Know what gentleness is supposed to look like. He doesn't display it to everybody. And if you're having a hard time, like, this, you know, understanding wh- what to do in a situation, know your Bible. Second is pray. Pray for gentleness. Um, not a prayer I said often in my life, to be honest with you. Like, I pray for wisdom. I pray not to mess things up a lot uh, and stuff like that. I pray for others, but I never, until recently, uh, started praying for gentleness. Uh, it's not something I thought of. I remember yourself rightly in the light of Scripture. Remember who you were. Like, if, you, if your heart doesn't break for people like that, who were you before you were saved? How did Jesus find you? How did he save you? Where did you start? Where are you now? How far have you come, right? If you're having trouble relating to people, and communicating them in a gentle manner, you're not looking at yourself rightly through the lens of the Bible. Seek the lost. Seek the people around you 
There is brokenness and loneliness on this earth. There is injustice. There is lack of knowledge all around you. And Christ is the answer. And how will they know unless somebody tells them and somebody lives it out through their hands and their words to them? And one day he'll take them and make them into harmony and light eternal. As far as you guys with each other, treat one another with excellence. Uh, If your master came general and lowly, you most certainly are not above doing the same thing. Ask yourselves these questions. How did Jesus treat children in the Bible? Read it. He never once yells. He never once loses his temper. He is always calling them. How does Jesus treat women in the Bible? Just try, just ask that question, read it through. Uh, predominantly, he's taking care of them. Women, are you wound up like Martha? Are you worried about the things that are going to happen right now? Or are you taking the better portion like Mary? Men, when you do that, you lack gentleness because you're wound up in the moment. You're, you're, you're t- the thing has to get... I was doing it with Henry. It's the same thing with men. You get focused on completing the task. So there, it goes both ways. I was out in the garage, and I don't like writing anything until my stuff is clean. Like, it, it bothers me. Like, if I have disorder, and then I'm trying to write something that's orderly, I find it is a, just a massive juxtaposition. I can't get through anything. And so I'm like, and we just moved, so it's very unorganized in a lot of places. And I'm like, I want to make it where I can walk through my garage and not hit anything. You know? Low fruit. And Henry must have asked 37 minutes of um, continuous questions. And he just loves his dad, right? That's all that's happening. But it was just da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And uh, I had this thing in my neck. It's just like my blood pressure was starting to rise. Like I'm just trying to clean a garage at 8 in the morning. And like, boy, just like give me a minute. And Because uh, I don't talk a lot anyways. And I was sitting there thinking, like, I'm going to preach tomorrow on gentleness. And uh, I'm so focused on getting this thing done that I'm not taking the time that my boys actually get to see me right now, which hasn't happened all week long because I've been so busy. And he loves his dad enough that he wants to talk to him. Because in 20 years, he may not want nothing to do with me, right? And I didn't capitalize on this moment right here, right now. And, and that, that's what I see when I see Martha and Mary. I see Martha worried about the things that got to get done, right? You just know they got to get done. And then Mary, who is just sitting there listening to Jesus, taking the better portion. And it says that will not be taken away from her at the end. So... Think on those things. So that's that. For those of you that have, we're going to we're going to close, and we're going to have the Lord's Supper. For those of you that have trusted in the Lord Jesus, that you have seen your brokenness, that you, the Grand Physician has healed you. Come. Join. Remember, one day we will have the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will eat a meal that the world has never known. We will sing, all hail King Jesus. And this is a time to reflect on that moment. 
for you that don't yet, I'm glad you're here. You got some other stuff to do in your life. Uh, Seth's here. Bob's here. I'm here. We, and if you want to talk about salvation and Christ, please do. If you're from another church, enjoy our table. We're going to be sharing it with you one day, and it's going to be sweet. So, um, yeah, I'm ready. That's you. That's your cue. You, let's play a song. <laughs> I'm clearly not smooth at this. So.